Beloved congregation of the Lord, for those of us who have been following the news in recent years, you may be aware that the Free Reformed Congregation of Chilliwack, B.C., together with the United Reformed Church of Abbotsford and an evangelical church in the province, in the Alliance, churches have been embroiled in a legal battle. You remember that during the COVID lockdowns, there was a total prohibition upon the worship of God publicly, and that was appealed by these churches to the higher court there in British Columbia. And it was found that there was no constitutional protection granted to them during that time of COVID lockdowns. Let me read from an article from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms published this week about their appeal all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. Quote, the Justice Center of Constitutional Freedoms is disappointed that the Supreme Court of Canada has decided not to hear the case of three British Columbia churches who have challenged the total prohibition of in-person worship services that was imposed by the British Columbia government from November 2020 through to May 2021. The government closed all houses of worship while allowing restaurants and gyms to remain open. The Justice Center, um, which are a group of lawyers standing for constitutional freedom, say the following. Our clients who still face prosecution for holding safe in-person worship services in 2020 and 2021 will continue to assert their other legal and constitutional rights in defense against those charges, including that the provincial health officer abused her discretion in selectively permitting and, prohibit and prohibiting in-person gatherings based on factors other than health and safety. They go on to say, we are disappointed that the Supreme Court has determined today that prohibiting in-person worship is not a matter of national importance. The same week, another case was also rejected by the Supreme Court, not found to be um, invalid, but not even heard at all. And that was the case of Trinity Bible Chapel. Let me quote from another article. Trinity Bible Chapel, a Reformed Baptist Church here in Ontario, in Waterloo, its lead pastor, Jacob Rayum, and other church members have pursued their appeal to the Supreme Court. When Ontario closed houses of worship in 2020, the 10-person limit made no sense for Trinity Bible Chapel and its large 900-seat auditorium. Further, the 10-person limits were imposed on worship services, while essential retail were permitted 50% capacity with physical distancing. Trinity Bible Chapel received hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines, while congregation members were forcibly locked out of their church building by court order for several months. Two cases here in Canada of great weight for the well-being of the church and people of God here in Canada. 
not even heard by our Supreme Court. It's a terrible and a sobering thing. Whereas other jurisdictions throughout the Western world have recognized that the government overreach during these times infringe the lawful calling of Christian churches to gather for worship. Canada stands alone in placing the very worship of God and the administration of the public means of grace on a level deemed inessential, something which our laws and constitution may not protect. It's a terrible act of judgment upon our land and upon our churches, and it bodes very poorly for the future. It is reflective of the terrible spiritual declension of our land, as good is called evil, as perversion is called is called a human right, as the very honor of Christ is discarded as something inessential. And upon such a sobering time, it may be tempting to forget the things that happened in previous years. It may be tempting for us also as the church in Canada to regard these things as the distant past and we have but to carry on. But as I was reflecting upon this hour in Canadian history, I found that we we cannot be those who do not take stock of this terrible judgment that has befallen our land. How is it that we've arrived at this point? How is it that Canada is a place where the very worship of God is not something that may be protected? That the very right of the people of God to worship God according to his commandment is not even recognized. Well, I wish to direct our attention to one specific text and see what it would speak to us at this crucial time in our nation's history and that of the church and people of God. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. All right. Over this sermon, a time for choosing. A time for choosing. And wish to, in the first place, speak of a challenger. Second, his challenge. And third, a response. So if you like, a challenger, a challenge, and a response. Well, who is it that it that is the challenger of this text, it is Elijah. And children, I'm sure you've heard of this wild man, Elijah. He was a fiery prophet of the Lord. You see, he walked about 
in a very interesting form of clothing in a hairy camel skin. And he was someone who did not pull any punches. He was a courageous man, a bold man. And the Lord raised him up at a crucial time when the northern kingdom of Israel under the wicked reign of King Ahab and his wicked wife, Queen Jezebel, had led the people to a deeper depth of apostasy than ever had existed before. Then the worship of the Balaam, the false gods, the great pantheon of pagan deities with Baal at the top. That was the new religion that was foisted upon the people. That was recognized, you see, by the state and by the king. And the true people of God and the true prophets of God, they were pushed underground. They were forced to hide in caves as they were threatened to be killed. And God, you see, raises up Elijah in order to pronounce that a famine will take place. Not a drop of water will fall from the sky. And over those long, hard three years, the land languished under the Lord's judgment and wrath. The crops failed. The livestock were wiped out. Children were dying of thirst and hunger. A terrible state of things as the Lord punished and chastised that rebellious people for their forsaking of the Lord. Now here at the end of those three years, he approaches unto King Ahab, a man who had brought about this terrible calamities, and he says, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Accusing the servant of God as of being the true troublemaker, of being the one who had caused all of these calamities. And while he retorts, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. And thou hast followed Balaam. Great and true words spoken by this Elijah, you see. During times of apostasy, of turning away from the word and the will of God, it is those who seek to follow God that are esteemed the true troublemakers. Though they seek to live in peace, Though they seek to follow in the ways of the Lord of heaven and earth, they are esteemed to be the one sort of people that cannot be tolerated in this new regime of inclusion, multiculturalism, and pluralism. This is the land in which we live. Like Israel of old, it seemed that the worship of Jehovah God and the clinging to his covenant promises was out of fashion. 
No, they had to bring in this new religion that promised prosperity, that promised modernity, that promised health and wealth, and gave way to every manner of sexual license. And so the religion of Jehovah, you see, was seen as restrictive, as seen as outdated, as seen as intolerant. So also today. And just as in that day, we see that the state becomes increasingly oppressive to those who would be faithful and walk after the ways of the Bible. Yes, pastors fined for worshiping God publicly. In Alberta, two pastors thrown in jail for months on end for worshiping God publicly. And the promise of more to come just in this recent years. In December of 2022, there was the passing of Bill C-4, which we know criminalizes the preaching of the gospel to homosexuals and others trapped in the sin of sexual perversion. And who knows what else may come? Who knows what further compromises will be asked of those who follow after God? Who knows what sort of names they will call those who do not bend to pressure, who do not change with the times, who hold fast to the word of truth? Troublers, troublemakers, intolerant, fringe, Such will be the characterization and reputation of those who would live godly. We see it already, and we understand, do we not, that it will continue. He's much hated by the state, this Elijah, this challenger, but he also is one who is willing to confront the church, confront the people of God, Themselves, for as Ahab agrees to the summons of the 400 priests of Baal and the priests of Jezebel and all the heads of household in the land, they assemble. They assemble on Mount Carmel and there in the early hours of the morning as the sun has not yet come up there. They see this man, Elijah, standing there before them. On the one hand, you have this great multitude of the false prophets. On the other hand, this one solitary figure. Surely the most hated man in all of Israel. Here is the man whom the Lord pronounced judgment upon us through. Here is the man who who spoke the words and the famine came. Here is this intolerant bigot, this backward man who can't get with the times. However, it was that those people thought when they saw him, Elijah is not restrained in confronting the sin of the people of God. What is it that he says? He says there in verse 21, How long halt ye between two opinions? How long halt ye? between two opinions, an interesting 
question and a way of speaking. What is it that's spoken of? Well, the idea is that they are walking with uneven steps, as though they were handicapped, as though one leg was not as long as another, and so they are hobbling. How is it that this is so? Well, they are caught between the two opinions, the two worldviews, the two commitments. On the one hand, there is the commitment to the true worship and God and God of Israel, Jehovah, his word, his commandments. And on the other, there is the allure of this new religion, this new approved way of being and acting that is compelled by the state. Two alternatives. And what was the sin of the people? Not so much that they had all gone in for this new religion and this new apostasy, but that they couldn't quite decide where their loyalties lied. Part of them was drawn to the religion of their fathers, could not give it up, could not quite utterly forsake the commandments of Jehovah. And part of them as well could see that this was the way of the future, the Balaam and the oppressive state that backed it up. Surely this was how it would be going forward. And so it is that there are these two worlds in which they are called to inhabit. And at that point, the people of God could not make up their minds. And can we not say... Can we not say that in leaving this fight on the worship of God to a small number of churches that bore the great hammer blows of the state during that time, that the great majority of Reformed churches fell in that middle ground? Yes, indeed, they would say, we are reformed after all. We hold to the Belgic confession. We believe that that is a biblical confession. What is it that the Belgic confession says in article 28? It says, it is the duty of all believers, according to the word of God, to separate themselves from all that do not belong to the church and to join themselves to this congregation, wheresoever God has established it, even though the magistrates, the government, and edicts of princes were against it. Yea, though they should suffer death or any other corporal punishment, therefore all those who separate themselves from the same or do not join themselves to it act contrary to the ordinance of God. All Reformed Christians believe that, confess that, are bound to uphold it. They are required to join to the true church, even if the civil magistrate forbids it. We confess also Article 32 of the Belgic Confession, where it outlines the role and the office of, of minister and elder and their authority within the church. What is the authority of the minister of God and the elders of God as it concerns the worship of God. Well, we confess in Article 32, they ought studiously to take care that they do not depart from those things which Christ, our only master, has instituted. And therefore, we reject all human inventions and all laws 
which man would introduce into the worship of God, thereby to bind and compel the conscience in any manner, whatever. You see, every reformed office bearer, every elder, every minister, every deacon, they must sign an article of subscription saying that they agree that this is biblical, that it's only the word of Christ in the Bible that governs the worship of God, that no law of men, whether from the civil magistrate or anything else, can prevent the people of God from lawfully worshiping God according to Christ's appointment. And we confess also in Article 36 concerning the role of the magistrate, the government. And what do we confess? Do we say that the role of the worship of God in the eyes of the government falls somewhere between opening up the grocery stores and the gyms, and as long as those are okay to open, then maybe we'll get around to opening the churches? No. We confess as Reformed Christians, Article 36, that they, the civil government, must therefore countenance the preaching of the word of the gospel everywhere, that God may be honored and worshipped by everyone as he commands in his word. So as Reformed Christians, we are very clear in what we believe, and that is that the worship of God is not inessential, that it is not something the government can shut down. We don't believe that the elders of the church can require people to stay away from the worship of God because the government has said so, or because they don't wear a face covering, or because they're not vaccinated. We don't believe that. Because the Bible doesn't... Teach that. The Bible teaches that the worship of God is the most sacred and important thing that takes place on planet Earth. But no matter what happens, we have this responsibility to worship God, worship Christ according to his appointment. That this, the preaching of the gospel, is the means of salvation to God's elect. That this is not something that we have a right to handle or discard. You think of Uzzah there in the book of 1 Samuel, and, and they're transporting the altar of the Lord. And it's beginning to wobble, beginning to wobble. So Uzzah, he reaches out to stop the altar from falling, and the Lord strikes him dead. And why did the Lord strike him dead? Because he imagined that that prohibition on touching the altar was somehow stopped because of the circumstances. He imagined that his hands, as unclean as they were, had the full right to touch the altar of God, that it not fall into the dirt. He imagined that his hands were cleaner than the dust of the ground. So it is that the Reformed Churches of Canada, by not holding to their confession... By indeed, in the hour of testing, seeking to walk a middle path, fall exactly in this place, trying on the one hand to follow what we believe the Bible says, and on the other, compromising when the hour comes. 
And indeed, it fell to a small number of churches, some Reformed, some Baptists, to speak persistently to this principle that as the church has always gathered, has always worshipped God without the state's permission, so also they must at this time. And yet you found that those churches that opened did so gradually only when they saw it to be safe, only when they saw they could get away with it, only when they saw that there was no real present danger to their pocketbooks and to their um, reputations within the community. And so it is that we fall in this time, in this time where having gone through that whole crisis and having it passed through from memory, that even the, the Supreme Court can, without any fear, simply cast away those churches that took a public stand, without any fear that there will be a public controversy. Because for the great mass of people, including many confessing Christians, this, this simply does not matter anymore. It's yesterday's news, and we want to think about the future. Well, indeed, we may think about the future. What is it that we imagine will happen the next time that there is such a crisis that the state deems it necessary to shut down the worship of God for a week or a month or a year or years on end? Well, the legal protections that our ancestors fought for and codified into law are now lost legally. The Christian who would seek to worship God according to the scriptures when the state prohibits it is now subject to a greater state of danger than ever there was. And so we bequeath to our children and our grandchildren a restriction and a pulling back of the liberty that we inherited. A sad and a sorrowful thing. And here... We have ourselves confronted by the words of Elijah, this challenger. So we've seen this challenger, how it was that he was hated by the state and how it was that he confronted the church. But let's look at specifically his challenge. What is it that he says in this text? He says, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal then follow him. He simply points this out. You who have so compromised and hobbled your way to this point, trying to live in two worlds, trying to function both with the approval of man and of God, you now come to this place where I will require you to choose. Choose finally and ultimately whom you will serve. If Baal be God, then follow him. But if the Lord Jehovah be God, then follow him. Listen to what Arthur Pink writes about this text. Very helpful. He says, There was no if in the mind of the prophet. He knew full well that Jehovah was the one true and living God. But the people must be shown the untenability and absurdity of their vacillation. 
Religions which are diametrically opposed cannot both be right. One must be wrong, and as soon as the true is discovered, the false must be cast to the winds. And he says this, which is very appropriate. The present-day application of Elijah's demand would be this. If the Christ of Scripture be the true Savior, then surrender to him. If the Christ of modern Christendom, then follow him. One who demands the denying of self, and the other who allows the gratifying of self, cannot both be right. One who insists on separation from the world and another who permits you to enjoy its friendship cannot both be right. One who requires the uncompromising mortification of sin and the other who suffers you to trifle with it cannot both be the Christ of God. End quote. And I think that is probably the danger that confronts the, the average confessing Christian in our Reformed churches here in Canada in, in 2023. The very same challenge which confronted us throughout the years of the COVID lockdowns and the government overreach. Not so much that the choice is presented to you as an open denial of Christ, but that the choice presented to you is a Christ that would have you take up your cross and a Christ who would not have you take up your cross. A Christ that asks you and commands you to count the cost and a Christ who would say, there is no cost to following me. One is biblical and the other is but the teaching of man. And where we saw so much, so much vacillation, so much departure from the commands and precepts of Scripture and the Reformed Confession, I fear that so much of it was driven by precisely that thought, that Christ will not require sacrifice if we would be faithful that we can be esteemed in the eyes of man and esteemed in the eyes of Christ, that there ultimately is no cost. I tell you that on the basis of Scripture, you must choose, and you must choose upon this ground. Who will you serve? Will you serve Christ, the true Christ, who speaks clearly and plainly in his word? Or will you serve the emerging, wicked, satanic system propped up by our government and its powers? Will you go against this apostate culture or will you resist it with the word of God? Here, we can but imagine the kind of tests that we may encounter in the future. Some may be on the level of your own family and your own relationships, having to offend those you care about because you will hold firm to what Christ has said and speak the truth in love, even if you should be hated for him. 
There may indeed come a day when the government brings in electronic uh, identification and use that in order to restrict your access to different services if you do not uh, corrupt your conscience. A day may come indeed where we cannot buy or sell except we receive, as it were, the mark of the beast. And when that day comes, when there is the sacrifice, let, let it not be something you have to decide on the spur of the moment. Let it be right here and right now. That the least compromise towards sin and the devil will not be named among us. That no matter what may happen, no matter what may befall us, we are sold out for the Lord. He is Jehovah. He is the I, I am that I am. He is self-existent. He has created us. His law is good. His law is pure. And he has redeemed us with his mighty hand and with his outstretched arm. Redeemed us from the snares of the devil, the power of the kingdom of darkness. Cleansed us in his blood. Empowered us with his spirit. How can we live in sin that grace may abound? How can we deny our Lord? In ways great or small, you may find yourself examining your life and find yourself at the point where you realize that you have. You have been walking between these two opinions. You have been seeking to walk partially for the Lord Jesus Christ and partially for the world. Let it be here and right now that that be done with. The Lord alone is worthy of your worship. The Lord alone is worthy of your service. Well, there's the challenge. It's set before us so plainly. Let's look at the response. Let's look at the response in verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between of two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. To me, that is surely one of the most sad things in the whole Bible. There was a time when you could stand for the Lord, stand on his side, and it would mean something. When the people of God were afflicted and persecuted, it would have meant something to have gone out and taken a bold stand at that point, to have risked life and liberty and property, to risk reputation for the sake of the Lord and only for his sake. Later on, we know what happens. We know that the Lord sends fire. We know that there's a great miracle. We know that the prophets of Baal are are slaughtered and that the people of God will fall down and, and worship. But then, before all that had happened, when they had only the bare word of God to go by, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. When that was what they had before them, they could but sit passively and wait to see what happened. I do not know what will happen to the church here in Canada. Sometimes it fills me with dread to imagine what may be in store. This week, it's brought that to mind. What will happen in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Where will we be? 
What kind of pressure will there be to compromise then when our liberties have been snatched away and there is, n there is really no legal protection to speak of, humanly speaking? Can we imagine that the Lord would be wrong if there were to be erected a totalitarian social credit system that would effectively wipe out Christianity from this nation and continent. The Lord would not be unjust so to do. We are not so special. We, we, we as a church and as a people have sinned with a very high hand. The Lord would be just if he would remove his candlestick from us. Indeed, I fear that if it would be the case, if it would be the case that it stops here, that there is no repentance and there is no turning unto the Lord and seeking his face and the word that is spoken in by the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, will come to pass. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert, wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. What would it be that the Lord Jesus would be just to do towards the church in Canada? If it would be that the final word is, we want our buildings, well, the Lord would be just to say, you can have your buildings. We don't want to receive fines. Well, you can, you can keep your money. You will receive no fines. We want to be well thought of by our neighbors. Well, you are well thought of by your neighbors for what that's worth. We want to carry on and to live another day. Well, such may be the case. But if the Lord is not in it, if the Lord would spew us out of his mouth, then in the long run, then there will be no future of the church in Canada. If he withdraws his spirit of grace, and if we have afflicted and offended him too long, then indeed it may be the case that this judgment is followed by others, and that I fear that that may be so. It need not be, though. It need not be. It was not the end in this case. That people richly deserved the judgment of God. They were passive. They were cowardly. They could not even utter a word in defense of the Lord when it was the darkest hour. And yet what happens is a great work is done. And two sacrifices are brought out. And as much as the false prophets cried out to Baal, he would not hear. There was not a voice from heaven nor anything sent. And this Elijah, he erects the altar and he prays unto the Lord, O Lord, hear me, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let this people know that I am your servant and you are the God of Israel. And fire falls down from heaven and licks up the water and destroys the altar and destroys the dust. And all the people must know that he is God. Would that the Lord would send revival to Canada. Would that the Lord would wake up his sleepy church. Would that the Lord would bring us to our knees and say that we, in any measure, have fallen 
for the lie of this world that we can have it all and never pay a cost. Today, if you would hear the Lord's voice, if he would press upon you that you have so surrendered to this way of thinking, I would bid you to repent. Baal is not God. Christ, he is God. He is worthy of your all. The cost of not serving him is much higher, much higher than serving him. He is a good master. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Talk to any one of our brothers who have, who have endured these heavy fines and even jail time for obeying God according to the scriptures. Ask them if they would, they would have done differently. To a man they will say, no, the Lord is worthy. He's worthy also today. Whatever the Lord may have in store for you and for me, let us take this to heart. Let us choose this day whom we will 